This has been a uh, a tough series. I know it's been uh, it's been somewhat intrusive, maybe where you're at. Uh, it's been intrusive where I'm at uh, because I, since this summer, have been praying through and preparing for this series of messages as God laid it on my heart back in July, actually. Uh, when I take a, a week-long retreat uh, every year, and it's the week that I work on praying through uh, messages for the coming year, and it's uh, always a powerful time for me. This series was birthed out of that week, and ever since then, I have been going uh, under the scalpel day after day, week after week, looking at my own skeletons, looking at my own demons, as we call them, uh, that I have mo- some I've been hiding some that I couldn't deal with, some that I was afraid to deal with, some that I didn't want to deal with, some that I was enjoying, actually. Uh, and that's the thing with sin. Sin has this, uh, has this ability to draw us in, to attract us in, to, to lure us in. And, and from that, we, we, we bite into it, and it becomes a part of us. And for some, over the past weeks, you have been going through the same torturous but necessary rigorous process of healing and being restored and renewed. And it doesn't happen overnight. It won't happen on one Sunday. In fact, you'll be struggling with this. Uh, this is good news, okay? You'll be struggling with this for the rest of your life. Uh, it's good news because you'll think for a moment, hey, I've got this whipped. I've got this, I've got this conquered. I've got this demon conquered. And then all of a sudden, you'll fall again. You'll stumble again. You'll be there, there again in that darkness again. And what do you do with that? It was, it's been a, a, a very therapeutic, I think, redemptive time for us as people have talked about addictions, they've talked about things that they didn't share with their spouse for weeks and for years that they've gone through in their own life. And, and I, I've been privy to some of those conversations and the healing processes of that. And that's been beautiful. One person came to one of our prayer counselors last week and we had them around the room. They'll be around the room this week. And these are people that I would go to and pray with. And I handpicked them. And so if you want to pray with someone, then there will be people around here today that you can pray with. But one person went and said this, and it was relayed to me. I'm not sure where I'm stuck. <laughs> I just know that I'm not where I need to be with God. And again, that may be ambiguous where you are right now. I don't know where I am. I don't know where I need to be, but I'm just not there. And I need to get there. And maybe that's a part of the stuckness is just the unawareness of it all. And however you would, you would find that. But here's, here's, here's the reality that I, that I do know. Though there may be some ambiguity of where you might be stuck in that last 15 to 20%, or maybe you absolutely know you've known for years. But here's what I do know about all of us in this room. When we experience stuckness, when we're in that and we, we, we've repented of it, we confessed it, we tried to get rid of it, and we go back there and we do it again. There, these three words will be three words that will, will, in essence, you will emote. You will feel guilt. You will feel shame. You will feel regret. And then you're going to feel that and in that feeling of that guilt shame and regret you're going to think okay i'll never do it again i'm going to confess it i'm going to get it right i'm going to stop it right here and right now and i'm going to make it all uh, make amends or whatever it is that you're that you're wrestling with and then you will fall again the word that comes to me when i just ponder those words that whenever i fall in the areas that i tend to get stuck in the word that defines me is shame That's the emotion that I feel is shame. 
Mike, you know better than this. Mike, you have been wrestling with this long enough. Mike, are you, are you that weak? Can, can you not get over this? I felt this shame that comes over. Mike, you could preach sermons on this. Mike, you have preached sermons on this. Shame. This comes over me. And we've been talking about this. And last week, I know we ran out of Velcro, so we went and got some more Velcro. And we got them around again today. But we talked about how Velcro was like stuck. I mean, there's a soft side to the temptations and the sins of our life. That soft side is what lures us in and we, we get drawn in by the soft side, but you can't, Velcro doesn't work without the hard bristly side that captures and grabs a hold of the soft side. And then you find yourself stuck. At the end of the service again, we're going to give you plenty of time, a couple of songs that we're going to sing over you and, and, and you're going to have time to go around and, and maybe take one of these Velcros or two of them or three of them and just, just write on there. What's the soft side of sin that has lured you in, that has captured you, that has drawn you in to it? And then what's the hard side? What are you, what are you feeling are the effects of that? The shame, the regret, the, re, the remorse that you're going through and start the process of confessing and start that process of getting it out there and correcting some of the wrongs because we've been coping and concealing long enough. It's time to confess and correct. And this is absolutely a biblical model for us. Not not coping and concealing, but confessing and correcting. That's the proper order for us. When you look at James, you find James in James 5, 16, it says, confess your sins. In fact, I want us to read it out loud together. All right, we read it last week. I want us to read it together out loud. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another. Healed. Unstuck. Freed up. Made whole. Not sick any longer. And that's what, that's what we're aiming at. And so if you read this verse in reverse, you'll find that if I want to be healed, I need prayer. I need an intimate relationship with God. But not only that, is I need people in my life praying for me. But before anybody can pray for me, what's the first thing I've got to be willing to do? Confess. If I am not willing to put it out on the table, if I'm not willing to call it what it is, then there's a problem there. I'm never going to get to that state of being healed and unstuck until I'm willing to put it out there on the table. Galatians chapter 5 is where we'll be today. So take your Bibles, be finding there. If there is one verse that I could say, this is the theme verse for the series. It's Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. We'll read it, you'll see it, and I think you'll see the freedom in it. It says, in the freedom, there's the word unstuck, there's the freedom that Christ has set us free. We want that. We want that freedom. We want to live in that freedom. We want to know that freedom. We want to walk in that freedom. We don't want to be stuck any longer. It is for the freedom that Christ has set us free. Now what are we going to do? We're going to have to stand firm. Now that's a military term. You'll find that same term used in Ephesians chapter 6 when When Paul is talking about putting on the armor of God and being able to stand firm, he uses the same phrase here in Galatians chapter 5. So get ready, buckle up, because this is going to be a fight. That's what I'm saying. For the rest of your life, what you're dealing with, that area of struggle and temptation and drawing and luring, what you're dealing with, you are going to deal with it, and you're going to have to stand firm for the rest of your life. And do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Now, I like that. For, I don't like the phrase. I actually, it's just a reality, though. 
again. Again. Because for some of us, we're stuck again. Oh, we were free at one point. We had it conquered at one point. We thought we had a victory at one point, but we're stuck again. And we're stuck again. How are we going to get past this? How are we going to get through this and, and be able to conquer this in, in, in the end is where we're going. And so, you know, it, it starts so subtly. It's, it's not, it's not big, flashy, how we find ourselves stuck. It, it starts with a thought. You sow a thought, you reap an action. Pretty simple, right? You have a thought, you take that thought, you put it into action, what happens? You sow an action, you reap a habit. Oh, I tasted good. That felt good. I like that. I want more of that. You haven't felt the consequences of that yet, so you keep doing that, whatever that is. You sow a thought, you reap an action, you sow an action, you reap, a, you reap a habit, you sow a habit. What do you do then? You reap a character. It becomes a part of you. It becomes second nature to you. Becomes first nature to you. It's what you do. It's what you think. It's how you think. It's how you emote. How you process whatever it is. Again, you sow a you sow a character. You reap a destiny. It, it just starts with a thought. And if we can get the thought under control, if we can wrestle down the thoughts, if we can get those desires under control and really be able to conquer them, then I think we can be on our way to experiencing some level of victory. Some, at least, some of the time. I will say most of the time. Now, one of the things that we're going to do is we've got to be able to box this in, control this guilt, shame, and regret. And if we're going to do that, we're going to build a pyramid around this. And over the next three weeks, starting today, we're going to talk about what this pyramid is going to look like and how we're going to build it and how we're going to control it. And the very first word I want you to get under control is the word attraction. Attraction is... um, is what lures us in. It's what it's what takes control of us. Um, I think I'm gonna get it. There we go. Uh, attraction, lust, desires, longings, charms. What allures you? What tempts you? What brings you in? We need to be able to define what this is in our life, because if we can define that and readdress that and read arrange that and reorganize our attractions, our allurements, if we can do that, then we can start down a new path towards freedom. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 6, the righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken, what? Captive, stuck by their lust by their attractions, what draws them in. So what we've got to be asking ourselves is not what do I want, what do I feel, what's going on on the inside, where am I long, but why and how do I get out of it? Because not just, just because you have a desire for something doesn't make it right. Just because you have a longing for something doesn't make it right. Just because it's human nature doesn't make it right. In fact, finish some of these words for me. If I have crooked teeth and I want straight teeth, I go to see who? An orthodontist. If I have a broken limb and my, my, my arm needs to be re-put back together because it's crooked or something like that, I go to see what kind of doctor? Orthopedic. You go to see these kinds of doctors because you know that they make things that are crooked straight again. I want to use those same words, the same word ortho as the root word. 
Orthodoxy is a key word because that helps us to, to make sure our beliefs are in the right order. You go to a Bible study to get your beliefs in the right order. You learn uh, good theology in seminary, and hopefully a good church will give you good uh, orthodoxy, what we believe. We'll correct that. Orthopraxy is the next word that I want us to think about because that's where we order what we do. Now, now think about that for just a moment. Hopefully, you get good orthodoxy, and hopefully your good orthodoxy will help you have good orthopraxy, that you will start practicing what you know and what you believe. But how many good and well-intentioned preachers have you seen run off with the money or run off with somebody? They had good orthodoxy. They had good orthopraxy for a while. But there's another word, ortho. Pathos. Probably because they didn't deal with their orthopathos, therefore their orthopraxy could not sustain them and their orthodoxy could not sustain them. Therefore, their passions deep inside of them got the best judgment of them and caused them to fall. You see it in business. You see it in every area of our life. And what happens if you don't have good orthodoxy, you're, in her- you're a heretic. If you don't have good orthopraxy, you're a hypocrite. If you don't have good orthopathos, orth- uh, you're stuck. What I'm talking today about is being able to rearrange, reorder, restructure, listen, 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 our attractions, our passions, our desires. It doesn't just happen. We don't follow our desires. If you follow your desires, you're going to find yourself stuck. You have got to correct your desires and get them on a better path. All right? You were still here in Galatians. Look at, look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. We're just going to kind of skim through Galatians chapter 5 real quickly here. Verse 7 says, you were, past tense, running well. You were doing okay, guys. You were on the right path. You're doing the right thing. You were doing okay. And somebody got in the way and hindered you from obeying the truth. Not a good thing. Let's keep reading. Go down to verse 12. Verse 12. I wish those who who unsettle you would be emasculate themselves. Now, Paul doesn't mince words here. You just go on and do your own word research on emasculating somebody and see what you find out about that. I mean, Paul was livid. He doesn't like it when people cause other people to stumble. They were on track. They were on course. They got off course. Whatever it was that was going on, we don't fully know. I think we'll get a picture of that here in just a moment. Now let's go to verse 13. For you were called to freedom, unstuck. You were called to be unstuck, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity. We're going to talk about opportunity next week, so we'll save that for then. For the flesh, but through love, serve one another. All right? So he talks about the flesh here. It's a Greek word, sarkos, and it means what? It means flesh and blood that you see standing on the stage and that you have. All right? Flesh. But it also means something else. You read all of Paul's writing, and flesh has a negative connotation. It's like human nature, flesh. You're just doing it because your human nature does it. You're just doing it because nature calls you to You're just doing it because that's what everyone else is doing. That's the flesh, okay? Everyone has that. Everyone has the, the human nature inside of us. But we want to be beyond the human nature, all right? We're called to be above that. 
I want to talk about this paradigm called the flesh for a moment. When you talk about the flesh, we're talking about something that's very natural. It's, it's innate desires and attractions. It's nature and nurture working together or working against each other. They lead us down the wrong path. So listen. The flesh mars our conscience. Don't follow your conscience. Your conscience is marred. Don't follow your gut instinct. It probably won't lead you, at least all the time, on the right path. Why? Because our flesh is messed up. Our nature is marred. Our nurture is messed up. We don't have perfect parents. So we have all this messed upness in our world and in our life that creates stuck. Okay? Stirs passions in you that are unhealthy level and expectations. Now just hang on to that. All right? That's not what we want, but let me tell you that. That's how every one of us operates by nature. That's just how we get up in the morning. We just do what everyone else is doing. We dress like everyone else. We think like everyone else because that's what everyone else is doing. We just fit into the mold. But we're not going there because look at verse 17. Here it is, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Now we're going to be introduced to a new paradigm are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. So now we have a battle going on. For these are opposed to each other. Now notice this next phrase. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. How does that sound like the past several weeks? Paul wanted to do one thing, but he couldn't do one thing because he kept doing the bad thing. Why is that? Because he, he, he's a Christian over here, he's a follower of Christ over here, and he knows what he's supposed to do, but there's something inside of him that says, no, do it over here, do it like this. It's the flesh calling out inside of him, do it like this. Everyone else is doing it like this, so do it like this. Fit into the stream, go upstream, uh, don't go upstream, go with everyone else. That's what everyone else is doing. We're called to a different paradigm. We're going to get out of the unstuckness of our own lives, of our own messes. We're going to have to live on the spirit paradigm. What does that look like? I don't think any of us are going to reject living this way. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's not a single law on the land that will say you, you cannot love any more than that. You cannot have any more joy. Hey, quit having so much patience out there. All right? There's not a law in the land. That's the spirit paradigm. That's the paradigm I want to live under. The problem is I live, you naturally and I both live naturally under the flesh paradigm, which is full of a lot of these things right here. A lot of lust, a lot of desires, a lot of things that draw us in, that capture us, and that cause us to be stuck. How do we deal with that? There's a key controlling element here to these attractions, to this flesh, to this lust. You starve it. You don't feed it. You starve it to death. And how are you going to do that? You're going to have to get different attractions. How are you going to do that? We've got to know what's the bad attractions, first of all. And listen, in rocket fire fashion, I need to give this to you. But it's going to be pretty clear because most of us know what they are. All right? That's what the Bible says anyway. Verse 19, look with me there. He says, but if you're led by the Spirit, paradigm two that we want, if you're led by the Spirit, what does it say? 
the works of the flesh are evident. You will know. It will be as plain as the nose on your face. You will know what what's right and what's wrong. But here's the problem. This world has got more options for you to choose and more ways you can go and more things you can think and more, more of this world that it is wrong. And we've got to be aware of it. So I want to talk about five fatal attractions, lusts, desires, ways out there that we naturally go towards, okay? Five fatal attractions. Now, there's 15 different expressions, and I'm going to have to give them to you fast. Here, here we go. So listen fast, and we'll get to the answer at the end. The one fatal attraction is second-class sex. Yes, you heard that in church. If we don't address it, who is? Paul addresses it. Now the works of the flesh are evident. You should see it. It's obvious sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. You break those down into three, three key thoughts. One is sexual immoral is substitute sex is what I call it. The word sexual immoral there is actually the Greek word porneo. We get the English word pornography from that word. There's a thing that happens in the brain. Neurologists have figured out that there's a pleasure-sensitive part of the brain that what happens whenever you see pornography, it releases into your brain dopamine. Dopamine has this chemical reaction inside your brain where you will find yourself desiring more and more because you can't get enough because it's a drug. It's a pleasure drug that's dumped into your brain. And they have said that pornography can be as addicting as heroin. Why do they say that? It's because this dopamine is being dumped into our blood system. And because it's being dumped into there, we want more of it and we can't get enough of it. So what, what pleased us here, now we've got to have more. And then we've got to have more risque. And we gotta, it, it just keeps growing. This is a substitutionary sex. It is a second-class sex. Why I say second-class? Because first-class is Genesis chapter 2, when one man and one woman fall in love, get married, and stay together married happily ever after. And I'm not talking fairy tale. It takes a lot of hard work to get there and to maintain it. What we'll do is we'll go into the substitute sex instead of the real first class. The second one is impurity. I call this perverted sex. I promise you the way I approach this text, the way I approach so many of them, is I just try to let the text speak to me. What does it mean? So I found two different meanings for this one Greek word, immorality and filth. Filthy immorality. So then I asked the question, what does filthy immorality look like in Scripture? So I just studied from Genesis to Revelation the different forms of filthy immorality. I didn't create the list. I didn't make the list. I didn't write it. I'm just reporting the facts to you. Here's what the Bible calls filthy, dirty sex, perverted sex. Bestiality, homosexuality, rape, uh, pedophilia, and transvestite. Now, there's probably other things that we could list on, on any, any given list that you might list on your list. But this is what the Scripture plainly, clearly says. It's not an issue of political correctness. It's not an issue of uh, who, who gets to have their rights to do whatever. We're not talking about the flesh and the world. That's that system over there. We're talking about what does God say. And He says one is dirty and one is not right. And one is not holy. The third is sensuality. 
Sensuality is reckless sex. So if you think I'm picking on the homosexuals today or I'm picking on some pedophilia, let me talk about the person who likes to hook up. Let me talk to the person who likes to have friends with benefits. Because right next to the one that talked about unclean sex, the next one talks about reckless sex. Sensuality. When you get into the word study on this word, it means behavior completely lacking in moral restraint, usually uh, with the implications of sexual licentiousness. The idea that you can just do it if it feels good, do it. You can do it with whoever, as long as it's consensual and acceptable and all that kind of... This is the world in which we live. And we think it's okay. And listen, we cannot, we're not targeting one group over another group. We're not isolating it out. We can't point at their sins and ignore my own sins. The reality is... What God calls holy and what we call holy sometimes don't match up. He said, but it's human nature and, and, and I desire it and I'm attracted to it and it's my way. It's my body, it's my life, it's my choice, right? Again, if you live according to the flesh, yes. If you live according to the Spirit, no. Life principle for you, attraction doesn't equal acceptable behavior. Just because you have a proclivity towards any one thing or another doesn't make it right. Consult the Scriptures. You have got to tame and control this right here. Don't let it contain and control you or cause you to live recklessly. Number two, substitute God's. Substitute God's is a very dangerous way and it's one of the most prevalent ways in, in, in how we get stuck in, in our society. Verse 20 talked about idolatry and sorcery. Say, ah, I don't have any idols in my house. <laughs> I don't talk to, I don't talk to any, I don't play with Ouija boards. What are you talking about here? Let's talk about idolatry. It's that replacement relationship with God. Listen, what we've done is we've moved from caveman to crave man. And we just want more and more and can't get enough. Well, say, well, how's that idolatry? Well, here's a verse for you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, where it literally defines what idolatry looks like. Greed, which is idolatry. We don't think about our new fancy cars and our new big homes and our, and our bigger, 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 bigger paychecks as being greedy, as being wrong. We call it the American way, but I'm just telling us we make it a substitute God. It's a very dangerous way to live. We have uh, Financial Peace University going on right now. 39 families are in that, and we love it. I love the fact that we have that many families who have recognized. Some of them have recognized. Some of them are just going through it. I, I actually, I require Jordan, and uh, who, who's our daughter, and uh, her fiancé to go through it before I even get ma- marry them. All right? So that's how much I believe in it. But 39 different families are in it, and excluding their house debt, 39 families are reporting $1.3 million in in indebtedness. I just point that out just to say this. We have a greed problem in our culture. Many of us are stuck there. Sorcery, any kind of replacement voice of God. And I I could develop that, but I don't have time. Number three, emotional inflammation. Some of y'all are dealing with emotional inflammation right now. Emotional inflammation is that, is that part of you that's just, that just anger seeds inside of you. He even uses the word enmity. Enmity is antagonism. It's whenever you have enmity towards somebody in your family. This could be somebody at your job. 
You're, you're, you're seething on the inside because of them. In Luke chapter 23, verse 12, it spoke of Pilate and Herod having enmity towards one another, which will lead to strife, which is conflict, which leads to jealousy, and, and which is being feeling like you're left out. Where do you feel jealousy? If you're living in a blended family, you will feel jealousy. Many times you'll feel jealousy from the other mate. You'll feel jealousy from the other children. You'll feel jealousy related to the ex of the other person and the love and devotion from the children. You'll feel jealousy in all, in all ways of life. And the, ways, the way I know that is, one, I experienced it myself growing up in that home. But Ron Deal, in his book, The Smart Step Family, said jealousy is the fear of being replaced. When jealousy creeps in to your life, you can find yourself stuck there. Fits of anger. Stuck in a cycle of anger. Again, if there's emotional inflammation, then you've got anger that's seething and ruling inside of you. What do these towns have in common? Colorado Springs, Neosho, Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri, uh, Missouri, Fort Worth, Texas, Phoenix, Arizona, outside of them pretty much all being in the Bible Belt. Every one of those experience people walking into the doors of the church, anger at somebody and killing people going on a rampage. In the past few years, that is. Neosho, Missouri is just up the road. Realizing this is that we have people in this room right now who are so angry at somebody else they could kill them if they could get by with it. Fits of anger is where people get stuck. Number four, selfies. All right, absorbed with ourself. We just become a selfie generation where it's all about us. When the scripture points us to serve one another. We even say and have a value at Grace Point. We want you to serve one and worship one. Find a place on Sunday morning where you can serve in one service and worship in another service. It's a value. Even in Galatians chapter 5 verse 13, he pointed out that we are to love and serve one another. It's actually a mark of a Christian walking in the spirit. But what happens instead? Rivalries. Looking out for number one, dissensions. The unharmonizer steps in. Divisions, formalizing a separation. Envy, jealousy on steroids. This is what happens when we live self-centered lives. The fifth area is hedonism. These are all mark our culture, all mark our day. Hedonism is drunkenness. Listen, if materialism is the father of the American sin, hedonism is the mother of that is reproducing it. Just basically do what you want to do. Act how you want to act. Drunkenness is one of those ways. We just pass the bottle. We become chemically dependent. We become, we, we get on drugs and we, we use drugs and we pass on drugs. And, and number 15 needs very little description. Orgies. Just do whatever you want to do. With whoever you want to do it. Hedonism. I say all that. Here, listen to this. I, I run through this laundry list of 15 things, and I was like, okay, I can't, I can't put my arms around. Listen, just, just zero in on one of those. Because if you're, if you don't find yourself in that list, you say, whoa, I'm not stuck in any of those areas. I must be okay. Listen, he's got one for you. The very next phrase, what does he say? He said, whatever, whatever, excuse me, things like these, anything like this, is what makes up and looks like stuckness. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Keep away from worldly desires, attractions, 
Keep away from them. They wage war against your very soul. You got to starve the attraction. How do we do that? How do we starve that attraction? If this represents the flesh and this represents the way everyone else is going, the way I starve it is I've got to move away from it. And I've got to start walking in the Spirit. I've got to start walking under a different paradigm. Now notice this. When you walk under the Spirit paradigm versus when you walk under the flesh paradigm, notice that every single one of those fleshly desires has a corresponding Spirit working in your life. When you start and choose to walk in the Spirit, things are going to begin to change in your life. Your desires are going to be, begin, begin to change. Verse 16 is the, probably the key verse of the entire passage. It really tells us how to get unstuck with our attra- attractions and desires. But I say walk by the Spirit, this paradigm, and you will not gratify the desires the attractions, the lust of the flesh. This is a battle that will rage inside of you because you are flesh first off. But if you're going to walk by the Spirit, and if you walk by the Spirit, your desires will begin to be changed, your, your, your life will begin to be rearranged, and things will begin to look different, and you will long for things differently, and you will find yourself moving slowly, inch by inch, maybe millimeter by millimeter, but you will move slowly away from the flesh, away from the stuckness that you've been in for years, and you will start moving into freedom. Temptation, Todd Hunter said, doesn't produce desire. Desire makes temptation possible. I want you to hang on this quote. It's a very powerful, true quote. To beat temptation, I need to reorder my desires. If this is what's natural and it's what it comes natural and it is walking and living in the flesh and the 15 things plus that we mentioned... And I want to move away from that lifestyle. And I want to move this side. I'm going to have to walk in the Spirit. The only way I'm going to do that is going to have to reorder my desires, my attractions. What am I attracted to? Let me tell you of a man who walked into our church when we were over in the other building. He walked in on a Sunday. I could tell he was broken from the time I met him at the door. He sat down. He wept in the service. I met with him afterwards. We met for lunch later on that week. And he told me a story. He said, I literally have been in northwest Arkansas 24 to 48 hours, whatever he said. It was, just a, it was just a day or two. He had gotten his car, moved down here from Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he was totally immersed in the drug scene, totally caught up in the addiction of drugs. He said, I had to get away. I needed new friends. I needed a new address. I needed a new state. I needed a new life. I threw away my phone. I got a new phone. He said, I moved here. I had some distant relatives. They said I could come reestablish my life here and get a new life here. I came down. He said, the first place I got when I came into Bentonville is I went to a restaurant. I was hungry. I didn't want to go to my relatives hungry. I went there to get a meal. He said, in 15 minutes in northwest Arkansas, and in my first stop in Bentonville, I go into a restaurant, and within 15 minutes, I'm talking to somebody about where I can buy drugs. And this person knew where. And this person got me my first hit in northwest Arkansas. 
and he was broken. He had a new home. He had a new phone. He had a new state. He was going to get a new job. He had everything new, but what he did not have new was new desires. If you don't walk in the Spirit, you're going to walk in the flesh. But if you walk in the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And you will have yourself a new life, full and free of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I want to read one more verse and then I'm finished. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. I like that verse. I've quoted it many times in my life, but when I come to the word desires, attractions, lust, longings, how will God ever give me the desires and the attractions of my heart? He won't unless I first delight in Him unless I have this intimate personal relationship with Him, a growing relationship, unless now I'm changing and morphing and seeing my desires change because now I'm longing for Him. Now I'm desiring Him. I'm desiring what He desires. I'm longing for what He longs for because I have His heart and His passion. Maybe today, this week, last week, you, you, you maybe filled out one of these Velcros. Maybe you put it in your pocket. Maybe you carried it around. Had some people even pull it out in the oddest of places, pull out their Velcro. I got my Velcro. You know, carry it around with you as a reminder. Maybe this week your prayer is not help me get unstuck, God, but help me delight in you. Help me to have a relationship with you. I want to pray for us, but I want to just encourage you. In this time, as around the room will be stations of prayer and more Velcro if you need it, you can go there. There are people there that I trust and I believe you can find as confident prayer warriors for you. Let me pray. Father, we're all broken. Our flesh cries out. Our flesh, our conscience, our nature leads us in a path that we many times find broken, distorted, empty, and desperate. doesn't matter the amount of money we get in the bank, the bigger the house we live in, if we have more than the person next door to us. It doesn't matter how many partners we have in life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how young they are, how old they are, what gender they are. It's just empty. It's just futile. It's just chasing after nothingness and finding nothingness. Lord, we want to walk in the Spirit. We want to walk in the Spirit so that we won't gratify, cause and effect, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh, the attractions of the flesh, the longings of the flesh. Lord, help us to identify the attractions right now and bring them to you. Because when you look at 15 or 16 or 30 different things, Lord, that we could get stuck in, we could probably name three or four things on that list that we just 
flew through that we're stuck in. It can become so overwhelming, so impossible, so no way. But it is possible with you. Confess our sins one to another. Pray with one another that we can be healed. Would you begin to heal us here and now? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Would you sing with us? We'll have prayer partners around the room. Go to them. Pray with them. This is your time.